After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? Pas te dire ce que tu peux faire pour moi. Tu vas voir, c'est pas compliqué. Tu me parles pas. Tu me poses pas de questions. If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome back to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I am your host, Becky Shrimpton, and this week, guys, we've got another heavy hitter with us, this time all the way from Vancouver. The fabulous Gabrielle Rose is with me today. Hey, how you doing? I'm really good. Thank you very much. A little chilly, but really good. You're coping accordingly, I understand. You chose Vancouver so that you could have rain instead of snow, and then what does it do? It brings you the chaos, everything opens. It's just been that kind of day. I'm sorry, Gabrielle. Gabrielle, this is how it works. You know what? I'm, I was born in Kamloops. I love the snow, and I really don't like the rain, so I'm happy. <laughs> now, this is interesting to me because <laughs> you are theatrically and classically trained. You went to school in the UK, and so uh, going yep. to school, as a lot of people from Vancouver actually do. I don't think a lot of people realize how many people go to RADA and, and Lambda from Vancouver and how many great theatrical actors come from there. So what made you come back to BC and want to work there? Um, it was a circuitous route home. You know, I, I lived in England for uh, 10 years. In my day, like, and I'm, I'm a veteran, as they say, or elderly member of our uh, group of actors. That's what people did was they went to England to train. There wasn't, there was the national, uh, I think the national school, um, but there wasn't a lot of schools around at the time that I was training. So um, off we went to Britain. And I stayed there for about five or six years, and they came back. I think I went to Edmonton and Toronto and Nova Scotia, lived in Nova Scotia for a few years, and then eventually uh, traveled to Vancouver again to sort of relocate with my family. And you found a whole other family of actors. You are someone who works with a number of major directors who have these ensembles, uh, one of them being Adam Agoyan, which is awesome, yeah. one of our most celebrated filmmakers. Can you talk a little bit about how you got in with him and the films you've done? I mean, Sweet Hereafter, like it's it's kind of ridiculous. The Adjuster, which is my favorite. I know, I love The Adjuster. It's so good. Um, yeah, I know. I mean, you know, I was thinking about it the other day that I just would not have had the independent or indie film career that I've had if it weren't for Atom. And so I owe him so much. I was pretty new to film and television. I'd done a couple of film television things in England, but I'd barely done a, a scrap of on-screen stuff when I met Atom. And I was in Toronto. My agent, he, he saw my picture on a wall and he said, I want her. Um, I think he, I don't know if he knew that I'd done theater. He's a big fan of theater. Um, and my agent called up and said an Adam Magorian had called and <laughs> wanted me to be in his film. And that was family viewing. And, um, and I was absolutely thrilled to be asked. And, uh, the writing was tremendous. And I, um, did that. And most of my stuff was on video. Like he, he was the first person to sort of mix all the media together. So some of the film was on, on celluloid and some was on video and some was a security cam. And most of my stuff was on video. So we could look at it right away after. And I could uh, it just talk. It was like a dumping in the deep end in film so that I was able to um, really adjust my, uh, my performance to the camera right away. Uh, as opposed to sort of being left on the floor because <laughs> it was over the top, right? And, you know, uh, that that was the beginning, and he used me in um, speaking parts after that, and then The Adjuster, which is my favorite film, too, is one of my favorites anyway. 
Um, it's just so wacky. It's bizarre. So it's one. I don't know why we don't revisit that one more because I find Adam McGoyan's films are difficult to watch on a large and general scale. They're never actually about whatever the marketers say they're about. Um, and then you get the <laughs> you get the adjuster, and you're just like, this is just fun. Like it's dark, but there's still such a fantastic sense of humor. You're not you're not wallowing in everything. Uh, Elias Cateus is fantastic in it. I mean, the whole cast is fantastic. It's just wild. I know, and he did it way before Arrested Development did that, you know, with the, with the sort of empty landscape of, a, of an eradicated uh, nature reserve or whatever that they've made into a development. Um, <laughs> and that was, oh my gosh, it was so funny. And then the sort of slightly kinky couple that Maury Chaikin and I were, and uh, the voyeuristic he really foretold a future, I think, um, in that, that that particular one. But his a lot of his themes are about alienation, about people being pushed out to the periphery in one way or another, whether it's through race or through uh, economics or whatever it is. The people who have have been just feel alienated from the core people, and I think that's so true today. So I feel like his films just live on forever. And yet he continues to work with the same groups of actors, which is always fascinating. Fascinating to me, including his wife, who is very often in his films. And uh, so, is that yeah. him trying to fight that alienation within himself, just being like, "If I keep bringing the same people back, is this going to help stave off the themes of the film for my own personal detriment?" Perhaps he loves people, <laughs> and uh, so he's full of love and um, and and trust, and he trusts people to sort of bring their own their own mind and brain to his projects, their creativity. And so if he knows you, he can trust you and uh, on we go. And, and it, certainly when you work with him, you are given your creative head within the parameters of his vision. You know, he's not a dictator in any way, shape or form, and he's so open to your ideas. And some of them he'll discard and some of them he embraces, you know. So it's really a, a delicious thing to be cast in one of his films because, because you, you come in full creative mode. You're not just a puppet, you know? Now, how did that work for you once you did the first film? How did you then get cast in the rest of them? Was it just at this point, you know what, this is the perfect role for Gabrielle, let's bring her in? Or was there like a, hey, can we have a read for this? How did that work? With Speaking Parts, I think I, I did audition for it. He thought of me and wanted me, but he wasn't sure. And um, and so I did do a reading for it, and we did rehearsals, etc. before I was cast. Um, the adjuster, I think this is, this is a long time ago, right, so my memory isn't correct, but I'm pretty sure this is how that one down, went down, was he said, I don't know if I have anything for you in this script, but I'd love you to read it. So I read the script, and there were these these two little odd characters, and they didn't have, they weren't fleshed out. They were just sort of like a weird woman on a subway doing something strange. <laughs> and, uh, and, and then the same woman, you know, doing something strange somewhere else. And I said, you know, those parts, what about who, that part, th that woman? Uh, I'm interested in her. And he said, oh, I hadn't thought of you for that part. And, um, and then on from that, and he gave it to me. He said, sure, you know. So I became the strange woman who was doing odd things with Maury Chaikin <laughs> and, um, and various other people. <laughs> Which is weird that I think that's a character description that can fit a few people who have been in Maury Chaikin films, but that's okay. I know. I know. It was so much fun working with Maury because we decided that we weren't a couple, but we were twins. Oh, jeez. Well, that adds a and whole that's new level. Like, that was our backstory. That was our backstory. Was that we were twins, <laughs> and I was the I was the you know you sometimes get the twin where 
the one there's the bossy twin and then there's the the, the twin that is passive and he was the passive twin so I bossed him about and told him all my fantasies and he had to provide them. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I still chortle at that backstory. I love that backstory. <laughs> That's so fabulous. Now you were working with yeah. with Adam and as you said he's not a dictator. He's very flexible with how he works with you, but his yeah. stuff is so well and tightly scripted and he has a very clear idea of what's going to happen. How do you as an actor work yeah. within that framework with that sort of flexibility? I'm an actor. I I get tunnel vision. I really I, I've learned over the years not to focus on the whole script, just focus on your character and focus on what your arc of your character is. And so we would have long, you know, meetings and discussions about that sort of thing. And um, I think we both delighted in, in that form of discussion. And then he would either incorporate some of your ideas or not. or But either way, I always felt part of the process. I didn't ever feel that it was just sort of like, here's the script, that's it, um, and no more. And he used to bring me in. Like, I haven't done an, a film with Adam for several years obviously you know he would bring me in fairly early in the process and um it was a it was a great a great part of my life artistically how do you feel you contributed to the sweet hereafter the sweet hereafter well again now this one he just approached me and said this is your part Mm. and uh read the book and so i read the book (laughs) um he said my my concern his concern about me was i just had a baby a year and a half before and I don't know if you know about young moms who have babies that run, <laughs> but they get really skinny. Mm-hmm. And he said, I see her as older than you, and he said, and chubbier than you. And I, I was on set, I was doing um, Jake and the Kid, and uh, and it's true, I was getting skinnier, I hadn't even really noticed. And so for the, I said, well, I'll gain weight. Um, you know, if Robert De Niro can do it, I can do it. <laughs> so I started eating the donuts. And drinking Guinness. I was young enough at the time to be able to do all that without having like serious repercussions in my health. And uh, I gained 15 pounds. And when I got to Toronto to do the film, he said, oh, you put on weight and now you look younger. <laughs> so, so I came up with the idea of the neck brace. I said, well, she's been in a car accident. Let's put the neck brace on and that'll push my skin up so that I look like I have, you know, jowls and that sort of thing. Because, you know, if you gain weight and you're, I was in my early 40s or mid 40s, it it does flesh out all your wrinkles, right? So so then we then we came up with the neck brace, and again, you know, we still had rehearsals. And uh, if you have an idea, we thought about talk. We would talk about it. It was just. It was collaborative, you know, it's just a great process altogether. Obviously, you like to work with collaborative systems and collaborative filmmakers, because we're going to talk about your next collaborative filmmaker, who you've done almost all of his films, I think maybe not one or two, uh, Vancouver's very own Bruce Sweeney, whose new film Kingsway you are in. It's opening December 17th across Canada on iTunes and VOD. Let's talk about your work with Bruce. (laughs) How did you get involved with these people? Years and years ago, a woman, Babs Chula, who was a wonderful actress who passed away a few years ago now, uh, and I were dear friends, and we got cast in a film by a young man called Mike Hulboom, very artistic film, with two characters, basically, who were in love, uh, and um, very esoteric. There was a couple of them. One was called Canada, the other Valentine's Day. Okay, long story short, uh, Bruce was the sound guy on one of those films. And he went on to make his first film with Babs as his uh, lead character. He and Babs enjoyed that kind of relationship for about three or four of his films. And then Babs got sick and couldn't work with him anymore and then passed away. Uh, I'm so sorry to say. 
And um, and so then I came in and took over from Babs's part because he always has an older woman who's very interesting and very strong character-wise um, in all of his films. Since then, I've been that older woman in his films, like a very defined character that, that you'll see in every one of his films. Uh, in the one before Kingsway, the Dick No Show, I was the producer, and before that, I was a, you know, interfering overbearing mom and so in king's way i'm actually a real rather loving mother even though i am still interfering <laughs> but you're doing it for and the somewhat greater overbearing. good i know it i love i love these characters they're not just the same character each time ever they've got dark and light and such wit and the thing about with bruce is that we do um we get together and improvise he gives me the scripts quite early on but before they're finished while there's still like maybe just a few scenes, we'll get together and read them and sort of then throw out ideas. To a certain extent, he has quite a lot of improv in his films. <clears throat> and then not, you know, like, so we'll improv stuff and he'll say he likes that line, keep it. And, and, and oh, I hate that line and don't keep it. You know, that, it's that sort of thing. So we do, again, there is a real artistic head and creativity involved in working with him. You can tell this is one of his more joyful films. Like all of his films deal with very difficult topics. They're, they're, they've got a lot of uh, sexual content. They're, they could be considered vulgar. I would say he is potentially Canada's John Waters and you guys are his dreamlanders. Like that's kind of how, <laughs> how it works. And they're definitely not for yeah. everybody, but for people they hit on, they like really hit and people love them. And I mean, they've won a ton of awards from Leo's, which is like BC's uh, film and television awards, uh, Gemini's, Canadian yeah. Screen Awards, like they've been, they've done very well for themselves. Kingsway is getting a ton of critical praise, and it feels like it is one of his more accessible films. Would you agree with that? Um, I would. I would say that it's one of his very witty. He ta- he's taken a very serious subject, and he's found um, not humor in the subject, but humor around the subject. And it is about family. It is about sort of like. Even if your family doesn't quite work, it's still there and it's still your family and that, that, that's who holds you up. Extended family, the whole nine yards. And, and Bruce, you have to understand, he doesn't make political statements. What he does is he takes a, a piece of life, finds the darkness, the humor, and it just gets in there and grunges about. And yeah, there's sex and there's anger and there's all of that, but there's always, always wit. He sees he sees the world through a very witty lens. And so I think all of this stuff to me is really, really entertaining. Like, even if you're uh, offended or whatever, you're still entertained. That's art. Like, it just is. Now, you're also working with a number of the same people. Like we said, there's always the same kind of ensemble cast yeah. that rotates in and out, and sometimes parts are bigger than others. Uh, I mean, Tom Schultz is in there. He's my former professor at UBC. Uh, Kevin McDonald, <laughs> Paul Screnland, people like this. When you start working with these people again, because you've been working for so long, does that facilitate the process? Like, do you already have those connections in place where you have that sort of trust so you can play? To- totally, totally. I mean, we already have a dialogue. We already have, like, fast, we can get in there and go fast backstories. These films are made on very basic levels, right? We don't have um, Winnebago's or uh, much catering. There's a bit of catering, but, you know, like, there's no, there's no formality in making it. Sometimes we all travel together on Dick Notion. I was the producer. I was also the first AD. I was also the caterer, uh, the wardrobe keeper, you know, the driver, <laughs> transport. Like, I mean, so... 
you're you're uh, not only played producer, but I was all the right-hand people you can possibly have. And so when you grunge in like that with people, you get to know each other extremely well, and you get to trust everybody. So it is an ensemble theatrical kind of situation. And um, yeah, so as you're driving along through the snow and the sleet, um, you're working out what the scene is going to be. And that just... It makes things go way faster. Our crews are tiny, always, like maybe eight people. So we can slip into places without hardly even being noticed. Now, when you think of Vancouver, you don't often think of independent cinema. Mostly you contribute that to, say, Winnipeg or to Toronto. What do you think defines the Vancouver indie scene? And what do you think they bring to Canada and Canadian film? Well, that's a good question, and I don't even begin to know how to answer that. (laughs) (laughs) People always think that's a good question when they have no idea what to say. Uh, What defines us? What defines us? Desperation? (laughs) I mean, the thing is, is it is a sad situation, right? Like, like at the moment, things are kind of dire for film, for feature films in in particular. The the uh, people aren't going to the cinema, uh, or or they don't go very often, as far as I can see. Um, They're streaming things at home, so maybe we need to adjust. I I have no idea how to handle it just started writing a little bit myself and uh you know and you start to think well maybe i should this i've got a feature film idea maybe it should be a mini series as opposed to a feature film I, you know the, the they don't go to the cinema anymore like uh, i think kingsway played for three days at the carlton and then is on vod and itunes that's it so it used to be that it was slightly embarrassing but you'd go to the international village and you'd see the films uh, First Weekend Club had been doing a fantastic job, but it's a, it's a real uphill climb. And it's a real uphill climb to attract people to come to see Canadian content anyway. And um, there's so little money being put into it. And uh, we're just, we're really in danger of being swallowed by the people to the South. I just think it's so important that we keep our stories, you know, that that everybody in Canada, like, we are different. We're a different nation. And... Uh, it's very important that we not be swallowed up by the, the whale down there, uh, that, that we keep our Canadian stories. It, it, it is a peculiar culture that we have, and, and, um, and uh, I think it's really important that people get out their iPhones, re- pull out their laptops, write scripts, and do it, you know, uh, and, and, and yet there's less and less support for it. And always, always, uh, they insist that there be some name attached to, in order to get any money. Um, it's just, uh, I just want to, you can tell I'm frustrated. Uh, you know what, Gabrielle, that's actually one of the questions that I ask, which you've already answered uh, at the end of my show is uh, what does Canada need more of in order to support their artists? And I think the just make stuff answer is a fantastic one. One of the reasons I do this show is that so people can find obviously more of this absolutely fantastic content. But it's also this great reminder that we do have such incredible talent working here, both in front of the camera like yourself, but also behind the camera. Like there's a reason the Americans and the UK and all of them are are coming to us to make things because our crews are second to none and those crews 
take vacations. And often they don't want to be working on uh, some random CBS show or Netflix show or whatever. I mean, it's great. That's all super fun. But if they can get something that's like a passion project or like a really cool thing that they get to have a say on and build themselves, um, say, for example, Trench 11 using Hannibal's makeup artist to do their special effects because he thought what they were doing was really cool, um, you then have access with our stories to these world-class level crews and things to help elevate your projects and, and make them work in that way. And it's that banding together, even though we don't have money, it is that, as you're saying, that general sense of we have great stories to tell that are different from what the Americans have to say, and we need to continue to push those forward. And how we do it is we make good scripts and we make good stories, and then we they're so good they can't be ignored. Uh, absolutely. I, I couldn't have put it better than myself myself and what you just said, and bless your heart for for promoting our, our uh, national you know identity it's just that industry it's uh, it's absolutely necessary and i mean i understand that you know it's very hard to build a star system here and i don't know if we even want to when i, I think when i when speaking parts opened i was so excited right a big part in a film that adam mcgoyan we'd we'd won or we'd not maybe won but we'd we'd been nominated for genies the year before and I couldn't wait. My mom was still alive. And I was like, okay, it's opening in cinemas, you know, today. It's opening today. And I hear this advertisement on the, t- the radio come across. And the guy says, uh, okay, such and such is opening, starring, you know, Nicole Kidman. And then so and such and such is, star- uh, is opening, starring, you know, Tom Cruise. Now, speaking parts uh, is starring, hmm, well, nobody. And I thought, so this is a Canadian broadcaster, like a guy sitting behind a desk with our names there, and we're just nobody to him because we're Canadian. And it's just a real sad thing that we have this identity, you know, this sort of self-esteem problem <laughs> in our identities, you know, that we can't, we can't lift each other up. And I just feel that that's very, very important that we start to lift each other up. And, and even if it's not you that's making it, let someone else get there. You know, let somebody get up and, and, and be seen and, and be given the accolades and and then perhaps, perhaps we'll start to get behind our own industry. Hey guys, Becky popping in here just for a second. So this is the part of the show where I usually ask my guest what their favorite Canadian film is. And Gabrielle has some great answers in the interview, but afterwards she contacted me and she had a list of awesome movies that I wanted to make sure you guys checked out because there was someone here I'd never heard of. So I'm just going to go through that. Feel free to look them up. Uh, I will probably have IMDb links to them within the website and the show notes so you can check those out there. Okay, here we go. Loyalties, which is an Ann Wheeler film. It's very cool and Tantu Cardinal's first feature performance. Away from her, Sarah Polly, Take This Waltz, Sarah Polly, Water by Deepa Mehta, also excellent. Bye Bye Blues by Ann Wheeler. I'm hoping to have that on the show very soon. Decline of the American Empire, Denis Arcand, John and His Misses, Gordon Pinsett. Highway 61, Bruce McDonald, we all know and love that. The Hanging Garden by Tom Fitzgerald. The Corporation by Mark Akbar. La Grande Seduction by Jean-François Pouliot. And Remember by Adam Agoyan. That's the list. Let's pop back in and hear about how much Gabrielle loves Cronenberg's Dead Ringers. What do you love about Dead Ringers? What about it speaks to you? I mean, of all the Cronenberg there is, I think that's one of his weirdest. So It is weird. It is weird. I mean, I think it was because I was slightly offended and I was kind of taken aback. And then I couldn't get it out of my mind. I think that sort of always um, uh, is a sign. When you rise up against something, your, your bile rises and you, you sort of go, oh, this is grotesque. 
and um, how could they do this? You realize, oh, what you're doing is there's something very visceral happening inside your body. And that's what all good films should do. And I'm sure people will definitely have feelings about Kingsway as soon as they check it out on VOD. It is available right now. You can go check it out, rent it, watch it. It'll probably be on a streaming service near you if you're in the U.S. because they all get our movies before we do. Oh, there's another Canadian film and I'm in it, so it's sort of really not fair that I name it, but a really sweet film that uh, was sweet it's harsh um, called The Daughter that's just been uh, released it is John Cassini's performances on To Die For so there's another one that people could see well Gabrielle thank you so much for your time I really appreciate it I know our listeners appreciate it too and uh, I hope you have a fantastic day and stay warm yeah thank you Thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. If you like what we're doing, please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher. It helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love. Come chat with us at RCM Pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM Pod. Our theme song is by Craig Stewart and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.